Gary. Do you remember me? Your mom's name is... Shannon. You used to wear newspapers in your shoes. Well, a great many people see... Gary and Shannon. As a hero, there are some who'd prefer the word vigilante. You've operated with unlimited power and no supervision. That's something the world can no longer tolerate. Surprised any of your daughter's friends with your underwear since we last spoke? No. Uh, she did have a friend over last night. Though. And you were fully clothed, I hope? The entire time. So, which is not unusual. It's not unusual for me to keep my clothes on when there are other people in the house. Just so you know. <clears throat> I don't want you to be... I don't want you to be wary about visiting. You do you. It no, is your house. No. If you want to walk around in your underwear in front of... Teenage girls, fine. I made muffins last night. Mm -hmm. They weren't very good. A little dry. What kind of muffins? Chocolate chip muffins. That's why you put butter on them after the... You can put butter on them and then... That's a good idea. That moistens them up a little bit. Yes. Moistens. I'm going to get into that butter. Uh, weird stuff going on today. Um, first of all, there was a fire overnight. Uh, it appears to be one of those, uh, urban camping enthusiasts that may have started a fire somewhere near the 405. Urban camping enthusiasts. Do you mean homeless people? No, no. I mean, people without homes whose life choices have put them in a position to be urban camping enthusiasts. Got it. It's easier for me to say you it that way. You sound like such an Angelino today. I do. Uh, but thankfully, just about 50 acres. Nobody had to be evacuated, but it was uh, the, the hilltop homes of Bel Air that were going to be uh, most at risk. Whenever I hear about the Sepulveda Pass on fire, I think there's no way they let that thing burn for, for very long. Well, when we saw that fire last year, which seems like seven years ago, uh, it brought up, of course, that old fire from from Bel Air in the the sixties. Sixties was yeah, it? I think sixty one. And going through and watching some of the old footage of that, the yeah. documentaries that were put together after that, uh, Starbucks says they're going to close four hundred company owned locations over the next eighteen months, but still open three hundred new stores. I don't get it. I don't either. Except. They're, the new stores are going to look different. They're not going to be the cafes that, that a lot of people are used to going in and sit down with your computer for hours at a time or whatever. They're they're concentrating on curbside pickup, drive through and mobile-only pickup locations. Okay. So the, the footprint of these new stores apparently is going to be much, much smaller. I see. That makes be. sense. So. Well, we broke the news yesterday on this show. It looks like Chad Daybell was arrested in Rexburg, Idaho, and now we're learning that he has been charged with two felony counts of destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence. This after two sets of human remains were found on his property there in Rex- uh, Rexburg. Two sets of human remains and 
Chad Daybell and his wife Lori happened to have two missing kids in their wake. Yeah, unfortunately. The, the police were very careful yesterday afternoon in their news conference to say they believe they found human remains. They haven't identified them yet. They were going to wait for autopsy before they get into the specifics. And they believe that they could be the human remains of children uh, just based on uh, simply the size and the, the forensics that they know from based on eyesight. Now, Chad Daybell is actually in court, well, finger quotes, in court right now. He's making a court appearance in a Zoom call, basically. Uh, the judge is wearing a mask, but he's the only one. Uh, I'm listening live here. It doesn't. It's hard to tell exactly what they're doing, but I guess nobody's saying anything. Lori right Vallow is facing five charges, two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children, one misdemeanor count each of resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime and contempt, but expect more charges filed against Lori as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, this it's it's um this was the end that I don't think anybody uh well, this is the end that nobody wanted. This is the end that the uh you know, prosecutors were expecting that investigators probably assumed was the case. And we got we actually got an email from somebody yesterday who had been listening to us and who is related, I'll say that, just related to the family, um, specifically to Tylee Ryan. She's the older of the two kids that's been missing. She's 17, and then J.J. is eight years old. Uh, The email that we got was from somebody who's related to Tylee's father, and they said that they had been in contact. This family member had been in contact with the FBI and Rexburg PD because the, those uh, law enforcement agencies had been keeping the family up to date about what was going on for the search for Tylee and JJ. And and this person said that the reason that the search didn't happen sooner, this second search, remember there was one back in January, was the entire area, Chad Daybell's property, was covered in snow and they were still waiting for the results of the autopsy for Tammy Daybell, Chad's wife, who died at that same property uh, several months ago under very mysterious circumstances. Yeah, remember Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow each have a spouse that died an untimely death, shall we say. Lori Vallow's husband was actually killed by Lori's brother, who then himself died an untimely death months later. So just an odd, apparently... At least five bodies. Yeah, in the wake of these two people. Yes. And this guy's a a pretty certifiable cuckoo pants uh, in terms of his massive library of doomsday books that he has put together, calling for or at least recognizing that uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes back next month. Yes. Uh, He is a father of five, by the way, of his own children, and... His friends and family say he and Lori both adhere to the to divergent religious beliefs. In an autobiography, Chad Daybell described near life or near death experiences. Excuse me, a deep connection with the spiritual world and visions of the decline and downfall of the United States. Well, so you're not that maybe crazy. He's, maybe he's, uh, he he's on to something. Uh, but um, she remember thought or told people that Jesus Christ would be making a return next month. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's not going to happen because I don't know what July brings. July might just bring Jesus. Or aliens. I don't know. Or, hey, maybe he's hitching a ride with the aliens. I don't know. I'm not ruling anything out. 
All right. Uh, the one of the discussions that's been going on is the defunding of police. Um, Jim Jordan, a uh, member of Congress, was talking today about it in front of a congressional hearing where one of George Floyd's brothers was testifying. There's an issue going on in Minneapolis right now in terms of defunding the police. The chief has apparently backed out of all of the contracts with the police department. And that's one of the issues that's come up. We saw this with Camden, New Jersey. We talked about this. This defund the police action may be a way for cities simply to save money and not not do away with the police, just kind of shuffle the deck a little bit and save some money. Well, and that was some clarification we got from Black Lives Matter yesterday, at least on social media, about they they're not talking about defunding the entire right. police department. They're talking talking about moving money around. And we talked about it yesterday. Cops want to see this happen too. They don't want to be the the mental health go to first responders. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. You can change me. Can you save me? Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Sheriff's deputy has been shot and wounded up in uh, Paso Robles. San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Department says this shooting started about 345 this morning in the city of Paso Robles. The deputy reported to be in serious but stable condition. The the entire county, uh, or at least the area right around the Paso Robles police station, was put on lockdown as they looked for a shooter. I haven't seen anything if they've caught anybody yet, but that sheriff, sheriff's deputy is said to be in stable condition. Firefighters stopped a fire that burned about 50 acres of brush and grass on those steep slopes of the Sepulveda Pass this morning along the 405. It began about 2 a.m. right below those homes in Bel Air, but no evacuations uh, were needed. There. Uh, Republican National Committee says instead of Charlotte, they're going for Jacksonville. How does that tickle your fancy? It doesn't. First of all, there's no Bojangles chicken in Jacksonville like there is in Charlotte. And there is nothing to do in Jacksonville except go to Top Golf. Now, the oh, that's fine. I've spent um, some weekends in Jacksonville. And there's not much to do. Republican National Committee chairs uh, or aides, I'm sorry, are trying to establish whether Jacksonville even has enough hotel rooms to accommodate something there's like the really Republican National There's really nothing there. Committee. There's ah. no there there. Well, did they ask you? They, they should. should have. Yeah. You know what I mean? They should. Well, defund the police has been the rallying cry for many of the protesters around the country. And yesterday, there was some clarification I saw several times on social media uh, where the protesters were kind of answering the questions that we posed yesterday, uh, like this one, abolish the police, question mark. But how would we say safe? And the statement was this, police abolition work is not about defunding every department instantly. It's about a gradual process of strategically reallocating resources, funding, and responsibility away from police and toward community-based models of safety, support, and prevention. That the people who respond to the crises in our community should be the people who are best equipped to deal with those crises. Rather than strangers armed with guns who very likely don't live in the neighborhoods they're patrolling, we want to create space for more mental health service providers, social workers, victim survivor advocates, religious leaders, neighbors, and friends 
all of the people who really make up the fabric of a community to look out for one another. And when asked about what about armed bank robbers, murderers, supervillains, they have kind of a supervillains, supervillains. They have kind of a um, that's how they put it. They have kind of a Pollyanna response that, you know, crime isn't happen. Most of the time it happens because someone has been unable to meet their basic needs. And that's true. But there will remain bad people, even after extensive work is has been done to rebuild or lift up different communities. Right. Even in the most. Uh, to use your word, even your even in the most Pollyannish societies that have existed throughout the course of history, there are bad people who need to be dealt with, and sometimes severely, just to protect the rest of the population. Um, the police chief in Minneapolis is in an interesting position, Madaria Arredondo. He has been pushing back on the city council's calls to defund and even dismantle the police department. If you remember. Uh, the mayor in uh, Mayor, um, what the hell's his name? Jacob Jonas' brother Fry had said he's not in favor of abolishing the police department and got shouted out of a protest at one point. The chief also has been saying he will not abandon the city of Minneapolis and that the police are necessary to protect neighborhoods there. He was at a news conference yesterday and explained some of that. I don't put policies out to say that you should only react or respond if you're a two-year member or a five-year member or a 10-year member. And if policies or subculture get in the way, then I expect and I demand one's humanity to rise above that. He's talking specifically about... The younger of the four officers that were involved in George Floyd's death would still have a responsibility to they know the policies and then they know the rules had some sort of an uh, obligation to uh, to step in. Now, the um, the chief says in in Minneapolis that the the police department is going to withdraw from the union contract negotiations. He says that's one of the first steps of reform of the agency. He wants to eliminate Third parties in the process of terminating officers who have been proven to have committed misconduct. Well, if they are going to be making any changes with funding, they're going to be violating the union contracts. Yeah. And and listen, we talked uh, yesterday, day before, about Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey was a city that did finger quotes, abolish their police department seven or eight years ago. But at its lowest point, seven or eight years ago, there were only 125 officers, sworn officers. So getting rid of that is not really the big, that big of a change. No, especially because all they did was reshuffle everything, call it new, the Camden County Police Department. Right. And get out from under the union contract that they had with the city police department so, so that officers were being paid 50 percent of right. what they had been before, which which is one of the things. I mean, that's a that's an appealing thing, probably to cities who are looking at finger quotes defunding. You're not taking away the law and order aspect of what a police department would offer a community, but you are cutting the salaries, which it went from being very popular to fund the police and a burden for cities to very in vogue to get rid of the funding for police departments. And there's a number of city officials who love that because it's not, it wasn't popular to, to defund the police or to, to pull back on funding. It's just, it's to me, it's also wildly hypocritical for city council members 
who do have security details, whose lives are protected in many cases by police officers, to then turn around and say, yeah, but you guys are too, you know, heavy-handed. All your shooty things that you have on your hips and stuff. That's, anyway. We'll talk more about that as we get into our local hour. Because also, Chris Carlo has been out talking with business owners on Melrose, really the first place that we saw the protests that were that turned into violence or that uh, that sort of morphed into violence in some cases on Saturday night of last week. To your point, though, that you just made about city council members and them taking away from cops, I feel like it they need to specifically point out that this isn't personal, that this isn't about the police officers, that it's about moving funding into social programs so that you don't need as many police officers. They don't need to respond to as much. Yeah. And I think that's key because when you take away the, the narrative that it's uh, slapping the, the cops on the wrist or it's putting racism squarely on their shoulders, that's when you're going to get uh, more pushback. Well, why is it then that, if that- you don't you got to frame it that it's not personally Against the police, it's about building up the community in a more uh, effective way. Why can the two of us who make fart jokes nine hours a day? Yeah, and balls. We jokes. can come up with that, but the city council can't. can't I don't know. Extend that message. Uh, what you watching Wednesday when we come back? Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. One of George Floyd's brothers is challenging Congress to stop the pain. He's testifying on Capitol Hill that his brother's death should not be in vain. Asking lawmakers to make sure his big brother is not another name on a growing list of those killed during interactions with police. Uh, Bubba Wallace, the only black driver uh, in the Cup Series, wants NASCAR to ban all uses of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events. He's, by the way, going to race in a car tonight with a Black Lives Matter paint scheme. The number 43 Chevy is going to be painted black. An image on the hood of a black hand clasping a white one in solidarity. The front and rear of the car will feature the words compassion, love, and understanding. Uh, there was a point when NASCAR was allowing you to bring a Confederate flag to a track and exchange it uh, for an American flag. So, um, And then Ford. Ford says they're going to have their U.S. factories back up to pre-coronavirus levels by July 6th. The chief operating officer uh, told an autos conference from Deutsche Bank that the company hit 96% of its production targets in the first three weeks after it reopened their factories there. Uh, in uh, middle of May, May 18th. Things aren't going well in Arizona. Arizona was one of the first states to reopen, and it looks like right now 76% of their ICU beds are occupied, and they're worried that this uh, second spike that they're seeing is going to inundate their health systems. I I guess at its peak, 78% of the ICU beds were in use, and then that went down, and now it's back up to about the same level. Well, it's uh, Wednesday. It's time for What You Watch on Wednesday. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. 
Well, a bunch of networks were in a rush, a race, a sprint to get rid of the show mm. Cops. Pull that from its pro- their programming. And I never th- sat down and really thought about Cops. It's kind of ubiquitous since, what, the late 80s, early 90s? It's on TV in the middle of the day yeah. all the time. I would see it, you know, uh, after school it'd be on. Sometimes, you know, when you're flipping through and there's be, cops. and There was marathons for entire weekends. I never thought of how screwed up that show is. Because in large part, it's white cops going after black guys. Ah. The, the, percent, the percentage is huge. And what does that do for the stereotype? Well, th- as a kid after school watching cops, because that's... That's who's watching Here's, at three at three 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 uh, three thirty in the afternoon. What does that teach kids about black people if they grow up in a neighborhood where there aren't a lot of black people? Well, I I don't agree with that. I think that the the thing that cops showed to me was cops de- cops deal with people on the worst days of their life. Yes. Lives of whatever it is. Regard regardless of of color. I, I But it, it only it only me... shows the worst days of their lives. That's the thing. Well, and, and when there, there's a bunch of kids that grow up in, you know, Marin County uh that that don't have a lot of black faces in in their neighborhood or in their classrooms or whatever and you go home and you turn on cops, you're going to see Black people on the worst day of their life, right? right. You're going to see you see everybody you're see on the criminals worst day and and the percentage because somebody broke it down, went through all the the footage and the the percentage of black people on cops is greatly outnumbers the percentage of criminals who are white. Um, the thing it just about- gives you the wrong impression if you don't if you're not exposed to different. You know, colors. But there are also things outside of the, you know, the times that they had to chase somebody or tackle somebody or arrest somebody with with, uh, you know, and be rough with them or get in a fight with somebody. There's so many of those vignettes on cops that were police officers being put in a position of not being law enforcement, of just being someone's friend or just being someone's. Uh, doctor or psychiatrist. I mean, all there's so many things that are shown in that show I, also that describe what, what a cop goes through on a daily basis. I haven't seen that show in probably a decade or so. so. But so the, what I remember is cops uh, being very aggressive. Yeah. I mean, and that's you know? the other thing is they'd highlight how many, how many hours and hours and hours and hours of footage were cut to pick the highlights right. to go into a, the, a the half action, hour episode. The action. Right. I, I felt like that show didn't portray cops in the best light either because I didn't see many of those moments where the, the cops were somebody's friend yeah. or there weren't enough of those moments from what I remember in that show where the cops are, are helping somebody, which they do every day. Right. More often than not. I mean, the majority of the times that an officer is called to any scene, it's there to help people, right. not to fight people. Exactly. But I felt like that show, in my memory, showed more fighting than the than the new else. version of that show is called Live PD. It's on A and E, and they're still trying to figure out if they're going to continue with this show, change it in some way. Live PD is basically the technologically advanced cops, where they have actual live feeds from different agencies throughout the country. Some here in California, Texas, Phoenix. I mean, all over the place. My and there's ah, oh. uh, and then th- there's 
the three officers, Dan Abrams, the legal guy, and then two cops, you know, either current or former police officers, are there and they're sort of uh, giving you the play-by-play of what's happening while these officers are in the midst of a traffic stop, a response to a call of a domestic violence situation, whatever it is. And in those situations, it's it's similar in that they're going to obviously go for where the action is. You know, oh, we got somebody in uh, Tulsa who's uh, on a high-speed chase. And it's live. And it's live. Wow. I mean, East Coast, it's live. So by the time we see it here in California, they, they have a chance to go through and edit out some of the they don't put names in. They don't put in, you know, swear like words and things like that. Liability or privacy issues? No. Um, I don't know how they get around. That's a good question. I don't know how they do that, but that may be one of the things that they have to figure out. But yeah. but in this case, in in that version of cops, I mean, the new one, Live PD, it does show more of those things where cop rolls up on a tra- on a traffic stop, and you know, most of the time they're just like, hey, just. Keep it, you know, calm down, slow down, whatever it is, get back. Or they have a, a what ter- starts out as a tense moment, you know, what what they're walking into a situation. They don't know exactly what's going on. And it turns out to be some funny, goofy misunderstanding. And everybody can laugh as the cops drive away. I mean, there are still those moments out there. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with live PD because there's it is it is not cops. That sounds like a more realistic show well you know if if they're not able to cut out um all of the boring encounters that cops have with people i just felt like cops was just all smash cut action and that's that's the problem because it also did not have real time breakdown of what the police were doing yeah they just showed you the thing and and then you're done next you know so this one actually has officers on set that can explain so this is why the officer said this or did this or went this way or called for backup or let the guy go or whatever. And that, I think, was a, is a better way to digest it. Uh, Gone with the Wind is off of uh, HBO Max. And Netflix is now looking at moving, uh, taking the help off of the uh, streaming service. Well, the help is getting a lot of backlash because people are watching it uh, and then saying, I watched the help. Now I get it. Now I get racism. And the backlash is also because The Help was a book written by a white woman. And it's a dramatization. Yes. And it's a white hero. And Viola Davis is upset that she ever did the the movie. Really? Yeah. So the and it's like the most watched. It's all it's been in the top 10 on Netflix like the past two weeks. From people that are trying to get woke. So wait a minute. So, we're watching the help to so do if it. So li- if you like that movie, are you racist? No. I don't think so. But it shouldn't be your, your <laughs> I don't textbook. Think so. It shouldn't be your textbook for learning about civil rights. No, but can't it be a great story? Yes. Okay. But it's just that people are watching it and then going to social media and say, oh, I get oh, it. I watched it. help. The help. <laughs> I am now woke. Uh Eating a poo-poo pie. All right, we'll come back. Jeffrey Epstein, uh, also Sweet Magnolias. Oh, my gosh. Gary and Shannon <laughs> will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Uh 
little bit later, we're going to be talking about the L.A. City Council President, Nuri Martinez. Uh, there is some suggestion that, that maybe she was being a little hypocritical when she was uh, suggesting the, or at least agreeing to a cut of the LAPD budget because of, you know, her uh, security detail. Um, I don't know how she explains it to the officers who are protecting her, but we'll talk about that at the top of the hour. Um, we're in the middle of What You Watch on Wednesday, talking about what's been going on with uh, with television. And the, well, uh, the Jeffrey Epstein mini-series, I guess you could call it, this mini-docu-series, four episodes, about an hour apiece, uh, of what went on with that guy. First of all, how he made his money, not very conclusive, although it looks like, sounds like, he was able to weasel his way into the lives of very rich people and then either get a lot of dirt on them or start relationships with them where he could find out dirt and then take their money and they didn't do anything about it. That's kind of the that's the intonation that you get from this series, that he was able to lord things over people and just say, you better keep paying me or I'm telling your secrets. Well, what a master manipulator in terms of the pyramid scheme of women, too, of girls, I guess yeah. I should say. You know, some girls would be taken to his mansion for the massages, the special massages. They get $200 for a 45-minute massage. And the girls that didn't do it and did not want him to touch them or or, or whatever, uh, they he would say, okay, well, if you don't want to do this, then go get me somebody else that and, will and yeah. I'll pay you. Yeah, so he's paying $200 to the girl who procures her friend and then $200 to that friend after these massages. There's one point in that, uh, I think it's probably the second episode, one of the attorneys for one of the victims pulls out a poster board and describes the sort of, uh, you know, in a beautiful mind where he's got all of the red yarn, you know, all over the wall connecting all these different people. It's like a spider web or, you know, the pyramid scheme like you're talking about. It's a pyramid scheme of these victims where one person brought in four other girls and then three of those four girls also brought in other girls. And it just goes on and on and on. And he was saying that was after about three or four weeks of investigation of his own. That's without law enforcement involved. He was able to find dozens of girls have that you, were involved. Have you finished it? I haven't finished it. Okay. I, yeah, I just started the episode two, and I think I'm just like right beyond that point where you see the spider web of girls. I, I just want to know when they're going to get into Ghislaine Maxwell because I feel like that's a huge part of the story. Yeah, and we don't know where she is. That's the other part. Yeah. My wife kept asking in this show, where is this woman? Yeah. And remember there was a – after Epstein was arrested and he was in jail before he committed the – before he was suicided, um, there was a picture of her at an In-N-Out here in L.A. And it was a total – like it was a picture that was months or years old, but everybody thought she was hiding out here in L.A. She's in some other country. There's no way she's in the United States yeah. right now. No yeah, way. I'm with you on that. Um, but to cleanse your palate – why not watch Joanna Swisher as Maddie Townsend in the beautifully set Sweet Magnolias? Mm. <laughs> it's one season. It's 10 episodes. If you liked Gilmore Girls, yeah. it's like Gilmore Girls without the, sar- without the sarcasm, <laughs> without the snark. Without the clever writing. Without the clever writing. Without the references to literary references or pop culture references. Yeah. It, it doesn't have any of that. It's just the sugar. It's just small town sugar. Bad acting. Well, I mean, let's 
Let's uh, pump the brakes there. Joanna Swisher. My friends from Serenity. Joanna Swisher plays the main character. She's divorced. She's got kids that are like high school through, I don't know, six or Uh, seven years old. Her husband left her. Right. And her her husband is played by um, Chris Klein from the American Pie movies. With a really bad accent. He's a really terrible bad actor. Hair, like, horrible, horrible, horrible actor. I remember how bad of an actor he was. And it's like, well, you weren't watching the American Pie movies for, you know, Oscar performances. <laughs> no. This guy has sex with a pie. I will say this. I will say this. The, be- the setting, they filmed this thing in uh, Covington, Georgia, I think is the name of the little town that, they, that, that is set as Serenity, South Carolina. Covington, Georgia. Looks fantastic. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's calm. It's quiet. Mm-hmm. There appears to be racial harmony. I know it's the South, but they, I mean, every, no one blinks an eye at the fact that the the black female lawyer is uh, is carrying on this hot and heavy relationship with this. Easy. Guy she, I haven't gotten to that part yet. Oh, you didn't? No. I'm only on episode two. And how the cook is it was at one she's time still, an EMT and he's got like a I'm little still PTSD confused going on. If she's gonna hook up with the doctor or the sous chef. I won't say a word. Which one is it? Not gonna say. Is it both? Oh, and Britney Spears' little sister is in this thing. That gives you an idea of the acting caliber of Sweet Magnolias. <laughs> okay, right. Sorry, it's a little aggressive. You're so heavy handed on those ladies. How dare you? Uh, oh, and my wife described Joanna Swisher as the great value brand Amy Adams. Yes, totally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is spot on. Oh, uh, that's all. All right. We'll talk about uh, the L.A. City Council president and his relationship with the LAPD. It has changed. Her. 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 Yep. She's that's what I meant. I know what you meant. I support You women. don't see gender. I don't see gender. You don't see gender. Mm-hmm. Neither do we on the Gary and Shannon <laughs> show. Players. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We need more dancing. We do need more dancing. I was dancing in my kitchen last night while I was making muffins. I heard an incredibly poetic and poignant moment last night on World of Dance. Okay. Where Jennifer Lopez and Neo (laughs) and Derek Huff were talking about the importance of dance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, all of its roots in, in religious ceremonies and just the, the physical embodiment it's an of, of emotion. And it's an expression. When, and, and Jennifer Lopez just very eloquently said things like, when, you're, when your food comes at the restaurant, you dance. You want to hear something nuts? Uh-oh. Do you know what I was listening to last night while I was cooking and dancing? The world of dance. This is Jennifer Lopez on Spotify. It was all J-Lo. And you just quoted her talking about dance. That is how 
connected we are to the universe. Let me also say, I quickly changed the channel because they went into some ballroom dance couple. They were like eight year olds from Naples, Italy. Nobody wants and I didn't to see want to that. watch that. No. Uh, 50-acre brush fire, if you saw that earlier today, along the slopes of the Sepulveda Pass, along the 405, about 2 in the morning. Some of the people who live in that area said that there is a a gathering place of urban camping enthusiasts uh, that may have been the starting point of that fire. Um, And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but a new study from Stanford. Listen... Since when did Stanford become controversial with its with its uh, scientific reporting? But a new study from Stanford said that COVID-19 could be four times less deadly than feared based on figures from 23 different testing surveys carried out worldwide. Um, Nuri Martinez. Yes, L.A. City Council President Nuri Martinez filed that motion last week, along with two of her colleagues, to cut $150 million from the LAPD budget. Uh, despite the fact that she and her family were receiving pi- uh, private police protection from officers who had been stationed at her home since April. Uh, neighbors <laughs> neighbors confirmed that the uh, officers who had been stationed out her ho- outside her house for at least two months. LAPD sources says that those officers were doing security directed to provide 24-7 security beginning on April 4th. Uh, They did cut back by a few hours on May 6th, but that there were security officers, well, I mean, LAPD officers working security outside the council president's house. So Spectrum News 1 calls her office trying to get a comment on the issue, and that's when she cut the hours down. Now the officers have been told to decrease their hours to between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m., well, that was back in May. Now she supposedly just cut them to all together, uh, canceling the detail after they called on Thursday. Now, the LAPD. Oh, it's not May anymore? It is not I'm May. I'm sorry. That's I right. forgot. No, everybody does Everybody does that. That's <laughs> I right. I literally thought it was May 10th today then, uh, when I'm reading through this. Like, it, no, it was just four days ago. No, Shannon, it's June 10th. We, there was an entire <laughs> holiday in there, too. We did Memorial Day mixed in there. Uh, <laughs> oh boy! Now, um, she has been asked for comment and hasn't given any. But in part of the motion to cut $150 million from the LAPD budget, she said this. We need a vision for our city that says there is going to be justice. And again, this quote from a city council member on a major American city. Ready? American society is founded on a racial hierarchy, one that is born out of slavery, followed by Jim Crow segregation and corporate abuse of labor. As such, police departments are asked to enforce a system of laws that are designed to reinforce and maintain economic and racial inequality. I would also point to the Los Angeles Police Department today as an example of one of, if not the most diverse, sorry, diverse Bodies of law enforcement officers in the world. And that's by design. In the world. The LAPDs worked hard to make that department reflect the makeup of the city. How many languages? I don't know the answer to this, but I, I but I, if you base it just on the different uh, officers that exist and work in the LAPD, how many languages 
does the LAPD speak? Well, the LAPD website translates into 14 languages. So, and I bet you that they have a whole lot more than that in terms of translators. If somebody goes into a neighborhood that only speaks, insert name of language here, the LAPD can very quickly get somebody there in uniform, not just a rando off the street, in uniform that will speak one of the dozens of different languages that are spoken commonly in Los Angeles. Um, the I, I understand when Nori Martinez talks about the Society of America founded on racial hierarchy. I've heard it described a couple of different ways in terms of what our country was founded on. The the stain of slavery. I've even heard it referred to as the birth defect of slavery that we have to live with 400 years later. I understand that. But a suggestion that the LAPD today is not the most diverse law enforcement agency in the world that for some reason it is still stuck in the policies of 1992 or 1965 or 1940. Or even 2005. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous because it paints all of those officers in a bad light. I've seen uh, in terms of the reaction from police officers themselves, there was a uh, an officer who works for the city of Seattle Police Department who basically said, listen, I am one of those good ones. I am one of those officers who 99% of the time has never had to pull his gun, never had to beat up people. I often find solutions to things. I de-escalate the situations. I take my training seriously. But you continue to harp on me as a guy who is a representative of the bad things that do exist in law enforcement, and I'm not going to serve your community anymore. I'm going to get out of the job, and you're going to be left with people who should not be working in the police department. As of last year, here is the demographic breakdown of the LAPD. 48% Hispanic or Latino. 30% white. Just under 10% black. That's a low number. I thought that was higher. 7.5% Asian and then 2.5% Filipino. The remaining were Indian and other ethnicities. So at least, I mean, nearly half uh, Latino. Yeah. And I, and those that aren't Latino, I guarantee, can speak at least rudimentary Spanish because you have to. You have to be able to do that in Los Angeles these days. So anyway, just it, it's it's pretty rich hypocrisy from the city council to do this, um, uh, to, to talk about how uh, how the LAPD is an example of the racial inequality that started this country that 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 part of this country was built on to suggest that the LAPD still embodies that is is short-sighted it's it's just not true and it's, it's frustrating oh look at this the DMV will reopen all of its field offices on Thursday can't wait to get back to the DMV <laughs> can't wait to go stand in line again with a mask on all right. Um, when we come back, that uh, that Stanford study about uh, coronavirus and, and what it means, why it is that Stanford is now being questioned in terms of its integrity. Gary and Shannon. It just goes. Yeah, I got married across the street from where Paul Walker died. 
we as were, if we, we weren't were, there. We, we yeah. did the ceremony. Yeah, I know. I was there no, too. I knew that I was. We, we weren't just there. I mean, we were like active participants in the bond of your love, of your were union. You, were you guys there? Remember, I mean, that was the last event anybody did before lockdown. Yeah, your yeah. your wedding was on a Sunday, and I think that Wednesday is when the world collapsed and everybody locked their doors. It was a good time, though. And nobody, that's the other thing. Uh, as far as we know, nobody got it from your wedding, right? No, no one, uh, no, no one. You did have a couple of cancellations. Only a few, but uh, pretty much everybody showed up, yeah. And how's it going? You guys still together? Yeah, of course. I mean, we're what, three months into this? Has she threatened to leave you? <laughs> no, no, that hasn't happened. No? The day is young. You know, they say that, and I don't know why they say this, but that the, the first, first year, year is the hardest. And you know what that does? It makes the first year hard because you're like, this is hard. The, like, they say it's the hardest year. So, I, I, you know, it's like when people tell you that you should be or that you have anxiety or they talk about anxiety, then suddenly right. you start feeling the anxiety. How do you go through what you do without having anxiety? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I just have heartburn all of a sudden. And suddenly you're like, this marriage is S. Yeah, so far so good. Three months in. Hey, an, an update. Not, by the way, the first year is not the hardest. No, you guys. That's such no, baloney. There is an update to a story we we're talking about earlier. A sheriff's deputy in San Luis Obispo County was shot at, put in serious but stable condition in the hospital about four this morning, about three forty-five, in the city of Paso Robles. Deputies have also found somebody who was shot in the head near the train station in the town of Paso Robles. They're not saying that they are connected. But that's highly unusual uh, to find somebody shot in the head near the train station. So they are looking into those. Uh, again, that's up in the Pass Robles area. There's this weird thing going on in the scientific community over COVID-19. It's like, it's like studies about coffee, almost. <laughs> or you know, if, if you want to find out that coffee is good for you and you yeah. should drink three cups a day because that's what you do, you'll find that study. And it's the same thing with coronavirus. If you want to find the study that says we're handling this great and, it, you know, it's, it's very rare that we can get this thing or pass it on if you don't have symptoms, you'll find that. Conversely, if you want to find the study that says we're all going to die in October, you'll find that too. Like world. It's all about which public health official you're listening to because the message is not unified. Not at all. No. Uh, even Anthony Fauci came out and said that that uh, World Health Organization's suggestion that asymptomatic people very rarely yeah, transmit he said that's the disease. Wrong. He says that's wrong. I feel like this is getting politi- politi- uh, politicized as well. This well is, coronavirus the, is, is political now. The latest number uh, numbers that have come out from um, Stanford are being questioned. And this is the same group that was questioned not too long ago. Uh, Stanford University's Dr. John Ionadis is an epidemiologist who was among three scientists accused last month of trying to make COVID-19 seem less lethal because they claimed that the virus was 54 or could have been as high as 54 times more prevalent than the official numbers were showing. And if you remember, that was the original study that came out of Santa Clara County, which was the sort of epicenter. It's where the first cases in California were. And they did antibody testing. Now, the the problem is, at least with uh, experts who are looking at these numbers, one of the problems is the estimate is based on serology testing, the antibody testing, which is now we know 
notoriously inaccurate. And that sucks. That sucks that science hasn't been able to figure that out and find a better test. But it's at least something, right? You know what, and, I, take, you know what I take from all the difference of opinions? Uh, and Stanford, by the way, is now investigating those researchers. Right. Like they would have anything to gain by screwing this exactly. up. Exactly. Um, but what I gain, the knowledge that I gain from everyone's difference of opinion is nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. They just don't know. There's no consensus. Well, in this study, what they did was they looked at a bunch of different, I think it's 23 different testing surveys that had been carried out around the world, the serology testing. And what they found was the actual mortality rate, which is how many people die versus how many people have had it. Not positive cases or people, I mean, just people who have had it, which is a much larger number. That can be as low as... 0.02%, which is well below the seasonal flu. Seasonal flu is about 0.1. So it's as low as 0.02, but it could be as high as 0.78%. So there's still plenty of work that needs to be done. Part of it, again, like I said, is that this uh, antibody, this serology testing, is now, we know, notoriously inaccurate, and that sucks. But it's something. It's, it's, It's something as we try to continue to wrap our heads around what's going on with this thing. All right, Chris Ancarlo has been speaking with business owners who are opening back up. We'll talk to him about what they have to say when we come back. Gary and Shanna will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The uh, court appearance today for Chad Daybell, relatively quick. This is the guy from Idaho who married Lori Vallow. Her kids have been missing since September. And as we talked yesterday, we broke on the show that authorities had found what they believe are human remains on Chad Daybell's property. Uh, Two sets of human remains. They haven't identified them officially as human, and they haven't identified them as the missing kids, but unfortunately all signs point to that. Well, there have been some businesses reopening in Los Angeles. Chris Ancarlo has spent some time talking to business owners, joins us now. Chris, where did you go? Who did you see? What do you know? Uh, I was walking on down Melrose Avenue uh, in the Fairfax District, just kind of checking up on some of the places that I had seen were impacted or in places that were impacted from uh, Saturday before this past Saturday, of course, when uh, all of the violence surged on up through the Fairfax district and we saw a couple of fires, we saw a ton of looting. And, um, you know, I just wanted to take the pulse on uh, on these business owners to see just how quickly things are bouncing back. And the answer is not, not really quickly. I mean, they are just starting to see foot traffic come back into the neighborhood. And a lot of those businesses, for example, I talked to one restaurant owner, and she was telling me that they had actually just reopened that day on that Saturday. And after two months of COVID shutdown, they were excited. They had a, their, a lot of their regulars back in. They were busy enough that she had to go out and, and get another, you know, 
bunch of limes from the uh, the grocery store to to fill all of the the, the margaritas, and um, it was on her way back that she realized that that things were probably going to go sideways. And um, the good news is that her restaurant was not looted, was not touched, in large part because her husband and her son were out there throughout the entire night basically just holding down the fort her brother was out there as well helping out with uh, neighboring businesses and so they were able to that that particular stretch there was uh, i'd say about a dozen or so restaurants or excuse me storefronts along that stretch of uh, of melrose that was untouched but on either side it was mayhem and part of the reason was that you had a bunch of businesses there in that little area that kind of combined their forces and said, okay, we're all going to stand out here and we're all going to do whatever we can to, to stop anything from happening. Meanwhile, they're hitting pretty much everything all around them. Um, it's it's tough right now for a lot of businesses that have not reopened. Uh, I'd say it's probably about a 60-40 split between open versus unopened. And he's a lot of plywood. I knocked on a lot of plywood, didn't get a lot of replies. Uh, so it's hearsay, but I'm, I'm hearing from a number of business owners who have talked to their fellow business owners who say they're not so sure that they're going to come back. And it'll be interesting over the next probably about two or three weeks to see who does start to reopen and what gaps end up missing on Melrose Avenue. Well, why are they not coming back? Are they? Are, did they lose enough money? Was this a, a painful enough hit right away on top of the coronavirus closures, or they just don't want to be, or they don't want to feel like they're threatened? I think it's more of the uh, of the latter. And you know, the the business owners that I talked to said that had they and everyone I talked to had not taken a direct hit. And that's part of the reason they were open and part of the reason they were available to, to have a conversation with. Um, either they had been partially looted or not looted at all, or they had some form of protection, which helped them on that evening. Uh, the places that got hit very badly are not reopened yet. You know, For example, I talked to a, a, a clothing store, and they own a, a couple of different clothing stores, the family does, along Melrose. And two of their shops were hit. One of their shops was not hit. The one that was hit, they still are waiting probably about two or three weeks until they're going to be able to really reopen because they still don't know what exactly they've lost so they're working through that process then they've got to build that inventory back up and then they've got to of course you know clean up and rebuild and everything else so there's a process there there were other restaurants uh, according to some of these restaurant owners that i talked to that had taken such a drastic hit in terms of the like liquor being cleaned out and cash registers being cleaned out and the damage inside that coming on the heels of covid it was just too much of a financial loss to recover from I didn't get the sense that there was a fear that there would be a resurgence of the violence or of the looting or of anything that we saw on that Saturday that many of them felt as though it was a, a unfortunate one-off. One person telling me that, you know, back in 92, we were largely missed. When the Northridge earthquake happened, we were largely missed. This time we were smack in the middle of everything. And so I think that's the context for some of these businesses that are not going to reopen. Less about fear, probably more about just sheer financial loss over two cataclysmic things happening back to back. Are people out and about at businesses wearing masks? Uh, are they, are, did you see customers or? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. No, yesterday, as I was walking around, I, I was actually kind of surprised by the number of people that, that I saw there because sometimes we build a stigma around a place, right? We see something happen and we say, okay, well, we got to stay away from that place. Not necessarily because it's dangerous, but man, they took such a hit. There's no point in going down there. But there were, there were a lot of people walking around, you know, a bunch of coffee shops open and people in there doing coffee shop things with face masks on uh, the uh, the clothing store I was in. And I think it was American Rebel. Um, I was inside there and I mean, they had a pretty steady stream of business. But again, uh, the business owners all kind of agreed that, that yesterday and the day before that was just when they were starting to see things pick back up. And it's it's also important that there's a certain gravity that happens there because when one store or two store or three stores are open, you know, it's one thing, but when you get you know, a dozen stores, you've got other people coming down for different reasons, which of course multiplies the foot traffic, which benefits everyone. And so they're trying to get back to that sort of uh, critical mass. Curious to see how long this plywood stays up. I was telling Nick that we were we were at a place oh. last night on Ventura Boulevard, actually, and there was plywood up, and there's no sign of them taking it down anytime soon. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. I really want to find out how much plywood was sold over the yeah. course of just a little bit. You know, like I mean, like as everything was was going crazy. I, I talked to a contractor. Um, I mean, he, as he was putting up plywood, I was just like, "So uh, you're busy, right?" He's like. I'm not going to go to sleep tonight. My guys aren't going to go to sleep tonight. And then we're going to wake up and we're going to put more stuff up tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. So a lot of plywood up. And now, you know, graffiti artists are taking advantage of it. I talked to one yesterday who, I mean, they're playing, painting murals on these, um, you know, plywood walls, which honestly probably looks better in most cases than just the plywood with a phone number on it that says, hey, if you want plywood, call us, which is Los Angeles right now. Chris and Carlo, thank you. How's your wife's finger? Oh, man. Uh, she still can't, like, open things. She bent her finger at, like, a 90-degree angle. It looks and, so uh, painful. It uh, it was, yeah, it was it was awkward. Have you thought about amputation? Uh, well, you know, that was what immediately went through my mind is I saw the finger. <laughs> I, was, I was like, well. Will you tell she, I mean, cause she, us what you said she, to her? Because she I, told I, me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, sometimes these things aren't for public consumption, but you know, whatever. Oh, no you're, you're, probably, you're probably going to tell everybody uh, anyway. So, so I, I, I'm in the house and I hear her screaming in the garage. I'm just like, oh man, I thought she like fell off a ladder or something, and it turns out she just tripped um, while getting macaroni and cheese. But I, uh, I, I go in there and, and like she's screaming like it's you know she's dead, and and so like immediately I'm doing okay. Is there is she impaled? Is there like a is there a knife sticking she out of her belly? Like what's going on? And I, I looked down at her at her hand, and, and she's holding it, and it took me a second, and I was like, oh, that's not the correct way for it to be bent. And then I kind of almost threw up, and then she's like, we got to go to the hospital. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And so on the way to the hospital, I, I, was, I was just like, uh, yeah, this is this is terrible. Like, I hope they don't have to chop your finger off. And like I was just trying to make light of it, and, and she was like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm like... You know, it's just it's going to be tough married to a nine fingered woman for the rest of my life. So <laughs> it didn't go over well. Okay, there's times to joke and times to not joke. <laughs> False. The best time to joke is always the time not to joke. If if you're looking at a fingerectomy, a cigarette a cigar cutter will do the job most of the time. You just have to be super. Quick. Uh, yeah. You know, I did I did offer the the, the quick butcher knife solution. She turned it down. She'll be brave. She'll 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 get through this. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. We have insurance. We have insurance. We're okay. <laughs>
Great. Thanks. Take it easy, guys. Uh, Gary uh, Chandler will continue in just a moment. We just got news that uh, out of Idaho that a prosecutor in the case confirmed that the human remains found on the property of Chad Daybell are the remains of children. Yeah. Gross. Okay. Well, we should update that when we come back. Gary and Shanna will return. I know I can treat you better than he can. And any girl like you deserves a gentleman. Tell me why are we wasting time on all your wasted crown when you should be with me instead. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. A couple of fires uh, to tell you about. One of them this morning... About a 50-acre brush fire along the Sepulveda Pass, right along 405. About 2 this morning is when it started, below the homes of, uh, of Bel Air. No evacuations or anything. They got on this pretty quickly. And then a fire burning right now, right between Ventura and Santa Paula in the hills uh, north of the 126 there. It's called the Elizabeth Fire. They said about 10 acres. Uh, not too windy up there, thankfully. A couple days ago, it would have been a, a very different story. And then a sheriff's deputy in Central California has been shot and wounded. Somebody opened fire on the Paso Robles Police Department this morning, about 345. And then uh, that officer apparently shot in the face but is going to be okay, serious but stable condition. And then a short time later, about 7 in the morning, somebody found a body in the vicinity of a, a train station there in Paso Robles, 8th Street and Pine they figured that the cause of death was a homicide, hence the you know gunshot to the head. The victim was an adult male, shot at close proximity. They believe that this is related to the shooting incident at the sheriff's. Uh, I'm sorry, at the Paso Robles Police Department. That it may be that man. It could, po- yes, except that they're saying it's a homicide. So uh, we're waiting for clarification. That came out about uh, just about an hour ago from the San Luis Obispo County Sheriff. Well, this news just coming out of Rexburg, Idaho. We told you that two sets of human remains were found on the property of Chad Daybell. Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow, that doomsday couple that had a couple missing kids since last fall, an 8-year-old and a 17-year-old. Well, the prosecutor in the case, Rob Wood, said at an initial hearing today, this was the first hearing, a court hearing for Chad Daybell, that we are aware those remains are the remains of children. They have not confirmed the identities, but he did tell the judge who set the bail at a million dollars with several conditions that the remains they found were those of children. Well, and this is only getting worse because J.J.'s grandmother, again, J.J. was the boy, the younger boy, J.J.'s grandmother, Kay Woodcock, confirmed to a television station today that it was one of the sets of remains was, in fact, that of J.J. So, you know, we could have hoped that these were just two random bodies that were found or even that they wouldn't be human, but now Grandma has confirmed that one of them was, in fact, a seven-year-old J.J. Vallow's body. In court documents filed today, Chad Daybell formally charged with two felony counts of destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence. Each charge carrying a punishment of up to five years in prison and or a $10,000 fine. Documents allege he concealed or aided in concealing human remains on or between the dates that line up with when J.J. and Tylee went missing and today. you got to believe that Lori Vallow is going to be hit with more charges. And they've 
they're probably going to both be hit with more charges. I mean, who knows how this all went down. But these two went missing or were last seen in September. And it's important to know that uh, Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell both have a spouse that died an untimely death. Gosh, it was his wife that died two weeks before he and Lori were married, right? Yeah, and for those of you know those relatives who have come forward and suggested that Lori Vallow will never um, will never hurt her kids or something like that, where where are you guys today? Where I don't remember hearing from them. Some some relatives had said she would never hurt her kids. This is you know, yeah. and she repeatedly would say things like the kids are fine or they're 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 in a safe place or whatever it was. Uh. If when we get into this and figure out more that that, in fact, they may have been dead almost a year now. I mean, if the last sighting of. Of Ty Lee was September 8th of last year, I understand the murders of spouses. I mean, I don't understand them, but I can I can (laughs) I can I can can figure that out in my head, how uh, relationships, uh, (laughs) crimes of passion, things like that, jealousy, you know, all these all these things. But I can never wrap my head around people who kill their kids who are not, like, mentally ill. Remember the woman who had the—she um, killed, her, like, her five kids in the bathtub? Yes. Uh, but she was screwed up Yeah. In her well, head. I mean, she—listen, Lori Vallow has not shown are, signs of mental health. Well, but this, this is true. They are doomsday people. But they're living normal lives, you know? Like, the woman who killed her kids in the bathtub, I don't think she was going to live a normal life. Like, no. I don't think she was functioning on a day-to-day basis. But Lori Vallow her, honeymooned in but Kauai. she was in Kauai living her best life. Yeah. I mean, she has weird ideas, but that people that aren't going through some sort of psychological trauma um, can kill their kids and then bury their kids on their property? And then just lie about it and get away with all of that. I mean, how much did they have they gotten away with over the course of a couple of years? And listen, three murder, four murders at least. And, and not to bring it around, but those cops who are digging up the bodies of children today, those cops who, in a place like Rexburg, Idaho, may have never had to deal with a child murder before, now have to deal with two of them in a very high profile situation. I feel for those guys. All right, coming up next, what's trending? All right here on Gary and Shannon. I got the apple in my teeth. It must be short of apples at your market because you've been consistent. I mean, you've taken the mantle of being the apple eater. Nick, if you would, could you see if there's any like Windex in there or something? This window behind her is getting apple goo on it. I enjoy my apples. What can I say? You know, it was this show that got me into apples. I wasn't an Apple consumer until we uh, did that entire show on apples one day. You get your fiber. And you get your juices. You, yeah. And you, you uh, healthy sugars. Taste, healthy sugars. Nature's and, and, toothbrush. And you subject everybody to watching you eat that thing. You're right. I really should take this show into the office alone. What else is going on? 
Time for what's happening. Phyllis Floyd, George Floyd's brother, had a direct message for lawmakers on Capitol Hill today. Fix the criminal justice system. Can you think of any reason why Officer Chauvin would need to hold his knee on your brother's neck for over eight minutes? No, sir. I don't really know why he did it, but personally, I think it was personal. Jerry Nadler with the questions there. There are also some stories that are coming out that um, uh, there was somebody who used to work with both Derek Chauvin and George Floyd at the bar, you know, this nightclub that they were both working security at and said that there may have been times that they were upset with each other. Uh, still no proof to that necessarily, well, but they, we, just, we know that they out. work at the same time. That will but, come out at trial. Yeah, so that was uh, Felonis Floyd that was uh, that was speaking before Congress today. Told you about this before Layla's news out of Idaho. The human remains found at Chad Daybell's home are those of children. Of course, Chad Daybell married to Lori Vallow. This is a doomsday couple who had two. She had two kids that uh, no one's seen since September. So. Unfortunately, the end nobody wanted. There was speculation that maybe the older girl took her brother. She was 17 and kind of tried to get them away from these crazy parents. But unfortunately, this is the worst case scenario ending. Uh, Supposedly, J.J.'s grandmother, uh, the little boy's grandmother, has confirmed to a television station there in Boise that, in fact, the body, one of the two bodies that was found was J.J.'s. Uh, speaking of bodies, there's a strange story going on up in Paso Robles right now. San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Office says a body was found near the train station in the town of Paso Robles this morning. And that was about 7 o'clock. About three hours before that, a Paso Robles police department officer was, uh, or a sheriff's deputy was shot in the face. And they say that the two are... Uh, connected, but they haven't said exactly what's going on. There was a shelter-in-place order for downtown Paso this morning while they did a search of the area for the shooter. No reports of any shots fired since about 4 in the morning, and they don't know if the guy they found at the train station may have been the police station shooter who then tried to take his own life, but they're de- they're describing that, the train station body, as a victim of a homicide. Fox just reported that... The body uh, found at 8th and Pine, investigators believe that that man is another victim of the suspect. Interesting. Well, so that means that the search looking, continues. Yeah. Looking for a gunman. Uh, reported shooting along the 110 freeway in Gardena. You said gunman. And Chris Little's here today. But I'm not Layla. I, don't, I mean, I can say it without, I can get away with it. Yeah, but you know how he gets pissy still and he'll come in here. A man with a gun? Layla, have you seen Chris Little's uh, big list of banned words? Yeah, he forwarded it to me again uh, two days ago. I haven't had a chance to look at it. I haven't had a chance to look at it because I, hey. there's more important things going on Let's right just now. Layla, that hey. you are not alone. We are Hold on, on one your... second. Hold on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, Chris Little has... <laughs> you're no longer in the news department, so you're fine, apparently, Sharon. Uh. Chris. <laughs> uh, Layla, just so you know, when we, Gary and I were both anchors, we got that thing sent to us uh, many times. It's like passive aggressive. Like he sent it, but said nothing. So yeah. like, oh, what do you me. want me to do oh, with that Layla. list, sir? Right. <laughs>
He's standing right here. Welcome home. Let me just tell you. We've been there. We see you. you. Yeah. You come and sit on our couch. We have so many stories for you. We have Chris Little stories. Just, I mean, I have so many. I'm just happy I showed up today. That's half the battle. (laughs) I've been working through COVID and everything in between. Right, Chris? I think he's just happy that I showed up. Oh, well, we're happy you showed up. So if I don't make sense or I'm like sounding like Elmer Fudd, it's because I haven't slept in three months. (laughs) You seriously are here like every day. Every day. I'm like looking at your Instagram stories. I'm like, there she is again in the booth. (laughs) Like Saturday, (laughs) Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, Do you get days off? Uh, Actually, this Friday and Saturday I'm off. Oh, that's... Well, for I'm now. actually excited. No, 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 no. That's not changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My phone will not even be on. That's smart. It won't. He's laughing because oh, he knows. I'll here, just here. turn the phone off. Here's another Chris Littleism. Never turn your phone off because we are like doctors, he said. He he once told us that we always have to answer the phone because we are like uh, doctors. Surgeons. 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 Surgeons was right. Same thing. And we used to always say when you start paying us like surgeons, yeah. we'll start answering our phone like a surgeon. <laughs> Or just give me a company-issued phone, and I might answer it. Oh, now we're talking. I'm not complaining. It's all good. But, yeah, to answer your question, I have the list. Well, when you want to complain, we're here for you. Great. The thing is, I I don't think there's any story that you could tell us about him that we haven't already lived through. Oh, yeah. And trust me. It's brighter on the other side. There, There are stories with tears, stories with slammed doors. All sorts of... This doesn't sound healthy. (laughs) It wasn't. All right. Also in the news, Prince Philip. Prince Philip is, what, 93? Uh, Were we able to get his lovely bride on the horn there, Nicholas? Or are you just... Hello. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. So, you sound worn out. If I have to eat another pound of pudding for this man's birthday and just put me out of my misery, please. What do you all do for um, for Philip's birthday? Is there a special romantic thing that you engage in? Ro- uh, romantic thing? What do you mean? Well, maybe less romance, more, I don't know, action? Do you mean gob toppling? <laughs> yes. Uh, sweetheart, uh, I don't know if you... Uh, I'm 94 years old. Philip turned 99 years old. If I were to touch any part of his body, dust would come out. I'm not going to do that for his birthday. I'll just uh, give him more pudding. God, I thought he was 93. He is 99. 99 Is he even... Like, what's old. going on with that? I, there are well, people that think it's a weekend at Bernie's situation. I know good, you're a fan of that film. Good news is he believes he's 47. Uh, so that means he's stuck somewhere in the 1950s. So he's happy because we won the war. But, but he doesn't know uh, anything about the Falkland Islands or anything. So. But no, uh, no boom boom for the birthday, huh? Well, not with Prince Philip, no. Oh, right. I forgot you have those... Uh... Younger men around. Uh, the British Navy is full of young, strapping men willing to serve the Queen, if you know what I'm saying. I get it. Uh, just because we ask everyone this during these COVID times, pants or no pants? I haven't worn pants in my entire life. Not once. 
That's true. I am the queen. I wear gowns. Are you in a gown right now or are you not? Well, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but once Fredericks of Hollywood went out of business, <laughs> Prince Philip <laughs> we gave me a gift by trouble. buying me all of the entire inventory of what was left in their warehouse. Fredericks of Hollywood was kind of the racier uh, store, you know, like uh, those were like bad girls went. Like the good girls would go to Victoria's Secret and the, the, the shady ones went to uh, Fredericks of Hollywood. You're damn right we did. We're going to get in trouble one day. Like, we're going to get somebody from the palace that's going to call and say, stop sexualizing the queen and Prince Philip. You guys are gross. All right. <laughs> Coming up next. Bye, Happy Lynn. birthday to you. <laughs> we will do our small business shout out when we return to Gary and Shannon. We're so gross. All we ever do is all we ever We? What are you talking about? We? I never said a word. You were like, oh, beautiful, and then boop! Surprise! And I said, I would never... I'm... Never mind. It's it's not worth the explanation. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. <laughs> Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Whenever you're really mad at me, you say, jeez. That's, that's your word for when I go too far. Jeez. Jeez. Uh, at the top of next hour, Ryan Burrow is going to join us. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff, including what's going on with Minneapolis, what's been happening uh, in terms of the push to defund, reform the police department there in Minneapolis. Uh, the Republican National Committee leadership has tentatively agreed to go with Jacksonville, Florida, as the host of the Republican convention in August instead of Charlotte, North Carolina. But they're scrambling to figure out whether Jacksonville has anything it doesn't like, there's nothing there is there an arena large enough to to hold the the events of a convention are there enough hotel rooms that sort of thing well it is time for our small business shout out to Lamart park we go where we find chef kendra mccrary owner of swift cafe kendra thanks for joining us you're welcome thank you so how are you doing in all this you know it has definitely been rough um but uh, we we did become part of a senior program that the city put on where we're delivering meals to senior citizens. And that has really helped keep us afloat. Uh, the, you guys just opened. Swift Cafe just opened last year, right? Yes, late October. <laughs> right in time for COVID. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Great timing on that. Where? Why? Why yeah. did you open Swift Cafe? Why in Lamert Park? Well, Lamert Park is considered an inner city, and a lot of times um, in the inner cities, the food options are scarce. A lot of not-so-great food for you, a lot of fast food places, and I really wanted a place where people could come and get healthy food, but that was also delicious, and show them that it can taste good and also be good for you. What are some of the standouts on your menu, some of the popular dishes? I would say um, we do a jerk chicken uh, where we grill the meat instead of uh, frying or anything like that. And then we also have a shrimp bowl, which Weight Watchers and Oprah uh, put us down as one of their top favorite meals and restaurants in Los Angeles. So 
that was pretty exciting. That's very cool. <laughs> I don't think Oprah's told us anything nice about our stuff. No. Uh, um, I know that you also had a catering business. Is that still up and running? Are you still doing that? So, Ulala Catering still exists. But once um, everything happened with the COVID-19, every event got canceled. So I'm kind of gradually trying to get that built back up as we slowly start to open up and people are doing smaller events. Um, but essentially that the catering company has, you know, died down quite a bit. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, my gosh. My mouth is watering. I'm just going over your menu right now with that sweet potato <laughs> ravioli. Yes. Oh my goodness. Completely vegan too. Really? Uh, that's actually kind of the cool thing is that I, I wanted to introduce different options. So there's a lot of plant-based items there, gluten-free. Um, I wanted people to know that it can be healthy and it's still good. So with the ravioli, we make our own ricotta using cashews um, and we use wonton wrappers instead of traditional pasta um, to make that, and then we use a vegan sage butter, and that's actually one of our mm. fan favorites, even from people that are not vegan. You ever going to put those uh, short ribs back on the menu? Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> they will. <laughs> they will come back on. We once once we slowed down a bit, we tried to make our menu a little bit more um, easy for staff, and things were going bad, so we kind of limited some of the items, but. Now things have been picking back up. A lot of people have been posting us about being a new business. And so in the next two weeks, our full menu will be open. Well, that is awesome. That's great news. And hopefully everything picks back up for you. Chef Kendra McCrary, thanks for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet. And you can follow follow Chef Kendra at Chef Kendra on Instagram, but also the official Swift Cafe on Instagram and the website swift-la.com. You can find it down there, uh, Lamert Park, uh, between Lamert Park and Mavericks there on Crenshaw Boulevard. Well, coming up next, we will dive into all things Washington. We'll find out more about the testimony of George Floyd's brother there today on Capitol Hill. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Still this odd story out of Paso Robles. Guy opens fire on uh, officers this morning. Now they say they've got a second body found near the railroad tracks in connection with this suspect who has not been found yet. And originally they thought... It might be that the guy found by the train station was the one who shot at the officer, the deputy, earlier in the morning. But now they're saying that they were both victims uh, and then there's still somebody out there. And most of downtown Paso Robles is still considered under lockdown right now. In Denver, they say at least two people have been wounded in an active shooter situation there. They said it happened near Coors Field and that suspect is still at large, telling everyone to stay away from the ballpark area there. Wow. Uh, it's 12.30. We get into Swamp Watch now. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. Swamp Watch. 
Before we get to uh, what's going on in the uh, Capitol building or what happened in the House Judiciary Committee this morning, just understood that uh, the White House press corps has been called into the White House cabinet room for some reason. The president's going to hold some sort of an impromptu meeting. I uh, don't know if they were going to be discussing police reform. I know that did come up in the White House press briefing last hour uh, when and if the White House was going to uh, provide any sort of guidance on uh, police reform going forward. So we'll keep an eye on exactly what it is that the president has planned coming up. George Floyd's brother was on Capitol Hill today talking to Congress. Adam Kelsley joins us now from Washington with the update. Adam, powerful testimony this morning. Yeah, powerful hearing uh, from Philonis Floyd, the brother of George George Floyd, as you mentioned, as he recounted uh, his brother, who he labeled a gentle giant, told about the told the uh, House Judiciary Committee about the pain that he and his family experienced uh, when they learned of George Floyd's death and how difficult it was for them to watch the video uh, of that incident, and also talked about what he wants to see from these congressional police reform efforts. He said he wants to make sure that law enforcement is always held accountable, uh, teach them what it means to treat people with empathy and respect, and and teach them about when, when force is truly necessary. And I think that's what it comes down to so many of the witnesses today, not just the brother of George Floyd, basically trying to uh, urge uh, the members of Congress who are going to be working on these reform efforts to stress to law enforcement that deadly force is really only necessary on rare occasions, trying to avoid incidents like what happened with George Floyd moving forward. But And he made a very important point, Philonis Floyd did, that law enforcement has to have a seat at the table when it comes to this discussion about reform. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, no matter your, your political ideology, you recognize that law enforcement is going to play a major role in this. Nobody wants to be, I think, uh, told what to do, you know, 100 percent down the line and, and that for members of the public to basically dictate uh, exactly what needs to happen on the side of law enforcement would be counterproductive because they might not necessarily have all the information what's going on. Uh, through police officers' minds when they're in situations such as these. So uh, a productive conversation, and I think a a mostly bipartisan one, an understanding on both sides that that there are really more important things here than political bickering. Uh, But as we mentioned, really powerful testimony, both from George Floyd's brother, from the attorney that's representing the family, and also from some Republican-called witnesses as well. One in particular uh, was the sister of a law enforcement officer who was killed amidst protests uh, out in Oakland, California, uh, last week, uh, she's basically saying as well that, you know, while protesters are out and, and protesting police brutality, she wants them to understand that law enforcement officers like her brother can be victims as well. Do we know who they'll be hearing from when it comes to representatives of the law enforcement community? Uh, I think that that remains to be seen, and certainly in the in the next couple of uh, weeks and months going forward, as Republicans and Democrats kind of hash out what this reform bill is going to look like. Republicans in the Senate, and obviously they control the Senate, uh, they've already labeled that the bill that came out of the the Democratic-controlled House was a messaging bill, and that there's going to have to be a lot of compromise before uh, anything gets passed and sent to President Trump's desk. But the the person to keep an eye on, I think, in the next couple of weeks is going to be Senator uh, Tim Scott out of South Carolina. The only African-American Republican in the Senate, he's taken the lead uh, as far as the Republican crafting of this police reform bill goes. Uh, And Mitt Romney, senator of Utah as well, former 2012 presidential nominee for the Republican Party, somebody who has become the moderate voice uh, here in Washington, D.C., and was actually out amidst Black Lives Matters 
protests in the, in recent days. So a couple of the folks who are definitely going to lead the way and, and be the ones selecting who from the law enforcement community kind of comes in and provides that input. Adam, thank you. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Adam Kelsey there from Washington, D.C. with the latest on uh, this House Judiciary Committee meeting today. Uh, there were a couple of others. Um, one of the people that was uh, speaking was uh, was Jim Jordan, uh, the Republican from Ohio. He was requesting a briefing from uh, William Barr on the Justice Department's actions in response to all of this, covering everything from uh, civil rights investigation to the uh, to to push to designate Antifa as the domestic terrorist organization that we've seen so many times, or at least we've seen talked about in the media so many times. Uh, American Civil, Civil Liberties Union had suggested that the president doesn't have the legal authority to designate Antifa as a domestic terrorist organization. So um, that that's one of the things that uh, continues to uh, to bubble up there, and that was mentioned today by Jim Jordan. Oh, the- one. Go ahead. No, you. You sounded more important than what I was going to say. What were you going to say? I was just going to say that Joe Biden may have a friend in Bernie Sanders when it comes to the campaign trail. Oh, really? And why that was not the case with good old Hillary and how that could give Biden a bump. I was going to say that uh, uh, people in Georgia have no idea how to vote. Oh. Yeah. Massive problems in their primary yesterday. Well, we can talk about both those things. You think there's time? Yeah. I think there's time. You know what? We'll make time. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. Leader, but you're only a deleter. What's that lyric all about? It's the way the kids talk these days. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you're a deleter. What does that mean? You're de- you delete things. Why can't we delete text messages? You can. I mean, like unsend them. Like if I send you a text. Filled yeah. with profanity, and then I remember, oh, this weekend he's at his mom's. I should be able to unsend that text. Uh, well, you could not send it in the first place. That's true. Is that too much to ask for you to clean up your text messaging? I will clean it up. A couple of fires to tell you about. Uh, thankfully, it's not a whole lot of wind today, but L.A. firefighters had about a 50-acre brush fire uh, Sepulveda Pass right along the 405 overnight. Um, they have not said how this started, although they are looking at uh, an environment of urban camping enthusiasts in the Bel Air area or down below the Bel Air homes there. And then uh, a fire between Ventura and Santa Paula has grown started. They said at about 10 acres, the Elizabeth fire, and thankfully not a whole lot of wind in that area. And it's not at this point uh, threatening a lot of homes or anything. Well, one of good old Hillary's problems four years ago was the fact that she— Nobody liked her? Nobody liked her and that big F and U to Bernie Sanders that she orchestrated. Right. And remember how disenfranchised the Bernie Sanders people felt by the Democratic Party. Well, it looks like Bernie Sanders has a much better relationship with Joe Biden than he ever had with Hillary. He said he has a strong and close relationship with Biden. They've known each other for 14 years. 
He says that Biden has been much more receptive to sitting down and talking to Bernie Sanders and other progressives than Hillary ever was. That if he wants to talk to Biden on the phone, which he does regularly, Biden's campaign will set it up within the day or two. He said that uh, Biden has always been open and personable and friendly, but his views and my views are very different. But he he's willing to listen. Well, that's good. But that's um, going to be good for Biden going into the election if he can rally all the Bernie Sanders people. Listen, this this has been a weird three months for for Joe Biden because you know he was relegated to the uh, to the basement when when COVID nineteen started running rampant. He couldn't do any of his normal rallies. He and the president both had to sit those uh, out, and then. He was in a series of bizarre, odd, and fumbling Zoom calls slash, uh, you know, online fundraising things that all looked bad. They just – the optics of them were, were bad. It just reminded everybody that he's an 80-year-old man and uh, doesn't appear to have all of his faculties about him. But the, the thing this week where the campaign came out in a very clear statement and said that Joe Biden is not for defunding the police uh, and this, that he is willing to sit down and listen to Bernie Sanders and the Bernie Sanders camp talk about the progressive ideals that they have for the party. Those are positive things in his be, uh, going forward for him. The polls have not been great for Donald Trump in the last couple of days. Job approval, yeah, but uh, I don't believe like I don't believe the polling. Well, anymore. Uh, the, the nationwide polling, you know, the the random like uh, voters across America where Joe Biden leads by ten percent. We saw that four years ago with Hillary Clinton, where there the polling itself is still skewed. It seems like they're still not understanding. You've got a poll. Basically, individual congressional districts. You can't just open it up and say any uh, eligible voter or registered voter from California or um, from the United States can do that. Now, speaking of voting, the primary in Georgia yesterday was an absolute s show. Apparently, um, there were very long lines. There were um, uh, votes that were never counted. It. The problem is if you get into a place like uh, November, a place, a time like November, and we still have voting issues in major states like this. I mean, Georgia's not necessarily one of those swing states that people are concerned about, but Florida is, Ohio is, Pennsylvania is. If we have voting problems in those states, could you imagine how rough it's going to be if, I don't know, listen. If Donald Trump loses the election, there's this specter that uh, this this belief that he's not going to go quietly, right, that he's going to challenge the election results, et cetera, that there's going to be some sort of a constitutional crisis and we're going to repeat Bush v. Gore times 10. In this case, uh, in in Georgia yesterday, lines were so long, uh, one woman, 38 years old, Waited more than two hours to vote, but wasn't about to let the long lines stop her. Problems with voting machines and the long lines have to be corrected. She says there's no room for error in all of this. Now, the people are blaming – some of the people are blaming the current secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, who happens to be Republican. And he was the one who led the selection of the new voting machine system – and invited every active voter in the state of Georgia to request an absentee ballot, which is what the president didn't want. 
but he did allow them to request the absentee ballot. The mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, we've talked about her a lot in the last couple of weeks. She tweeted at Raffensperger about problems in specific areas of Atlanta and said, is this everywhere or is just just on the on the south end? South end happens to be uh, that area of Atlanta that has the, the largest black population. They also talked. Stacey Abrams got involved in this. Stacey Abrams was the Democratic nominee for governor. And she says that the blame rests solely and squarely on the shoulders of the secretary of state. She ran against the former Secretary of State, the now Governor Brian Kemp, and said that she originally refused to concede her race a couple of years ago because of voting irregularities when when uh, Brian Kemp was the Secretary of State. So, uh, listen, I've never quite understood how why voting is a difficult thing. Yeah. Maybe that's me in my place of privilege, whatever. I've never understood why the technology involved in voting can be so elusive. It seems like it's such a simple technology to master and to secure, but we seem to never be able to get it right. Mitch McConnell is talking about throwing more money at the coronavirus problem. He says that they are going to work on another relief bill in July, that they expect work on the new bill when they return from recess, which is July 20th. Um, the delay is because the recent jobs report was more positive than expected. So the Senate's planning to review how the proposed $3 trillion package will be spent and has delayed passing up a follow-up bill the, to the uh, package that was passed in March. And, you know, we talked about it with John uh, yesterday, people aren't getting their unemployment. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of reports of that. Yeah. And, and I mean, early on when people were saying, you know, they filed and were on hold for six hours and then just got hung up on. And the next day they're on hold for four hours and they get hung up on. Yeah. It's not working right. Well, if they can get through, my sister's going through that now because she teaches Latin and ballroom dance. Mm-hmm. So the studios have been closed and she can't even get through. Yeah. That's what yeah. Uh, John they're- was saying that the. The number that you're supposed to call, apparently no one's working there. Yeah, they just no tell one. you they're overloaded. See you later. And and never they don't even put you on hold. When we come back, going live to uh, to the Midwest, Minneapolis's police chief says their department will withdraw from the negotiations with the police union. Ryan Burrow is going to join us and talk more about what that means. Coming up on Gary and Shannon. Set goals. Yes, it is. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. A little note here. Point some out to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Gary and Shannon. Um, well, the Republican National Committee does say that they have tentatively agreed to go to Jacksonville, Florida. Nobody has ever agreed to go to Jacksonville. <laughs> somebody has pictures <laughs> of somebody doing something with sheep, and that's apparently why we are going to go to Jacksonville for the Republican National Convention coming up in August. That Although Top Golf is going to be overrun because it's the only thing to do there. RNC says that they're scrambling to establish whether Jacksonville even is 
has enough stuff. It if doesn't. They, if they have enough hotel rooms to accommodate a Republican National Convention, if they've got enough places, if the arena will hold enough people. Uh, but we do know it's not going to be in Charlotte. Um, in a few minutes, I think we're going to try to update this story out of uh, uh, San Luis Obispo County. In Paso Robles, very early this morning, a sheriff's deputy was shot in the face, said to be in serious but stable condition. A short time after that in Paso Robles, a man was found uh, shot in the head uh, and dead near a train station in downtown Paso Robles. That city, the core of downtown Paso Robles, has been on lockdown since early this morning as they try to find the gunman in this case. Uh, they say that both of those two people, the, the sheriff's deputy who was shot and this person who was found dead were both victims. So that means the gunman is still loose. Well, we talked about this earlier. It looks like Minneapolis is cutting ties with the police union. And uh, I think there's going to be a number of cities where you see this happen. And it it almost feels like it's uh, under the guise of police reform. But I feel like there's a number of cities that have been hand, uh, just completely held hostage by the powerful unions that do exist and have been waiting for an excuse to cut ties or have a reason to. Um, and, and and I think that's part of the story here is it's not all goodwill for the protesters. Ryan Burrow is joining us, has been covering the story, spent some time in Minneapolis over the course of the last week or so. Ryan, what's going on? Yeah, so what the announcement uh, that came from the Minneapolis police chief today was that the department will fully withdraw from negotiations with the police officers union. Also, the department is partnering with Benchmark Analytics to monitor, keep data, and research officer behavior in real time. So that information will be used to make decisions on officers. Um, you know, it's it's combining information from various files and will basically say, look, this might be a trouble officer. We've We've noticed some uh, complaints stack up. We've noticed certain situations, and they're able to use a formula to kind of figure out. Because we, what we know from uh, Officer Chauvin's cases, there were uh, about 18 complaints. Two of them had been disciplined, but uh, uh, the others had just uh, gone without discipline. So, um, you know, the the thought is, with all of this information, maybe uh, something would have been done uh, prior to uh, this call, this 911 call that led to uh, to Chauvin being there. Maybe. Uh, he would have been disciplined uh, far more in advance. Um, Chief Arredondo had said uh, that he, regardless of what the city council does, he will not abandon public safety in in Minneapolis. Can can that happen? I mean, if the if the city council decides to uh, to abolish what is known right now as the Minneapolis Police Department, how are they talking about keeping law and order uh, while they try to figure out what comes next? You know, it's interesting. Uh, we, we talked to a city council member today, and there was nothing firm in there about what will happen. Uh, they say we're not going to get away from people responding, but the current situation is not what it's going to be. Now, uh, what the chief said, uh, Arredondo, was uh, that he's going to continue to do his job um, as long as he's allowed to do it. Now, uh, if the city council unanimously approves, and that includes the mayor uh, dissolving the police, Department, or if they put it to vote in the entire city of Minneapolis and the voters come back 51% and say they'd like to dissolve uh, the police departments, well, then 
he'll have to look for a new job. But he says until that happens, these are just conversations, and he's going to continue to serve um, as he is in his current capacity. Um, the union thing is interesting because there were obviously some issues going on even before uh, the uh, George Floyd situation. I mean, the, the mayor has referenced uh, that they need to tear up this contract, saying that you know there are things in there that are cooked in there that are systemically uh, racist, uh, there are things in there that protect these officers, and what they're doing is they're trying to, with a lot of these new orders, peel that away to make uh, officers um, more responsible for pointing out uh, unauthorized force, use of unauthorized force by fellow officers. Yeah, I was wondering about that relationship because I read that the union president, and I forget his name, but that he has publicly uh, and still doing it, defending the officers involved in the George Floyd death, and that he has maintained that they should not have been fired for this. Yeah, saying that uh, it was a rush to judgment. And yeah, and he's gone after the leadership too, uh, not only the mayor, but the governor as well for their handling of the demonstrations and the protests, which we know uh, really got out of hand with the fires and the looting. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a bit prickly between uh, those two sides. And really, the union leader has not been seen. In fact, he said that he's feared for his life. So he's essentially been in hiding. But of course, this isn't just the story of Minneapolis, where I'm at in Chicago right now. Um, there's also been a back and forth between the mayor and the and the union leadership. And in fact, today, uh, the the president of the Fraternal Order of Police just said, look, if we see one officer in uniform taking a knee, if we see one officer uh, marching or chanting with protesters, uh, they will be disciplined. And in fact, they could be completely uh, expelled from the police union. Uh, we asked the mayor about that today, and she said that she wasn't even going to she wasn't even going to talk about that because she didn't want to add value to what the, the Fraternal Order police was saying there Interesting. <laughs> all right ryan we appreciate it thank you you got it you bet ryan burrow again once again from chicago talking about what's going on in minneapolis uh the um that issue in terms of this being potentially a move to bust the union there were there were uh discussions about that we talked about camden new jersey was one of those places that disbanded their police department and then rebuilt it, just called it something different, different, and basically did the same job. Right. Um, but one of the things that they were able to do was when they disbanded the Camden City Police Department, it ruined whatever union they had where officers were being paid an average of $180,000 a year. When they reinstated something called the Camden County Police Department – the average salary for police officers was about 100000 a year. Sometimes unions go too far when it comes to protecting their people, and it ruins the entire thing. Right. You know, when you ask for too much and all that overtime and all that double dipping that's all built in, um, and I'm not saying it's not deserved, but when you go too far one way and then the city gets an excuse to get rid of you completely and it's palatable for the greater public, which usually it's not. You know, usually it's like you're going to cut the LAPD. Oh, so you don't care about the safety of the people now, city council. Right. But now the narrative is completely flipped and they've got a palatable reason to get rid of the union. They can say, oh, it's all about exactly. reform. It's exactly. The, it's in the, it's in the, uh, the desire to right. make sure that everyone is safe. Yeah. I just uh, hope nobody's fooled over that. And then the, the officers get screwed. And that's a, a, a cautionary tale for the union people, too. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, maybe you go to the ne- negotiating table and you listen for a little bit just so that you can remain intact. You know, maybe concede a couple of things.
just, if nothing else, to make it look like you're on the same team. Well, and for your own preservation, yeah. for the union's preservation, the, the, the relationship between the union and the city. Uh, when we come back, an unusual story out of an otherwise very peaceful place, uh, Central California. There's a couple of shootings to tell you about up in uh, Paso Robles. We'll come back and do that when we uh, when we return. Do you slide on all your nights like this? Do you try on all your nights like this? Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up, we will be talking to Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast, about playdates and this pandemic. Where are we at right now? Can kids safely meet up? Also, other pandemic parenting advice, like letting your teens stay up all night. Why? I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, Bubba Wallace, the uh, only black driver on the Cup Series, wants NASCAR to ban all uses of the Confederate flag at all NASCAR events. In fact, Bubba's racing in a car tonight with a Black Lives Matter paint scheme. Uh, The number 43 Chevy is set to be painted all black with an image on the hood of a black hand clasping a white one in uh, in solidarity. Front and rear of the car will feature the words compassion, love, and understanding. Um, oh, I wanted the Starbucks thing is also weird, but Starbucks says, Starbucks, they'll be closing up to 400 company-owned locations over the next 18 months, but they're going to speed up the expansion of their convenience-led formats, which means they'll close up to 400 locations and still open 300 new stores in the current fiscal year. That is down from their original 600, but still. A weird story out of Paso Robles. Yeah, uh, very early this morning, they said about 3.15 now, they've changed that uh, that number. Near the Paso Robles Police Station on 10th Street in downtown Paso, somebody started shooting. Um, and a an officer was hit in the face and is listed in serious but stable condition. During the search for the shooter, they found a man dead on the railroad tracks. Yeah, and at this point... Um, they said there was no other reports of shots fired outside of the original 315 shots. Uh, so they don't know if the person who was shot near the train station was shot around that same time or sometime later, and they ne- just never got a report. It's not that part of town in Paso Robles is not far away from homes, so it would you'd be likely that somebody would have heard it. But the sheriff's coroner investigators determined the cause of death for the guy found at the train station to be homicide, shot in the head close proximity. And at about 1045 this morning, they said that they that that homicide was related to the shooting at the police station a short distance away. Um, The entire uh, downtown area, Paso Robles, was put on lockdown and is still considered to be on lockdown. The school district had to cancel a meal distribution situation. Because of the active uh, shooter situation, um, and the district attorney says that they are hoping that whoever this was can be found and brought to justice is the way that they put it. So just an odd – this is a, a quiet community. You and I know both know this place, and if you haven't driven through Paso Robles on your way to San Francisco, uh, take the 101 every once in a while, and it's 
I just uh, I just made plans to go next month, and I was thinking, gosh, it's going to be so great. It's just so chill up there. You know, it's just so calm <laughs> and beautiful. Well, this is everyone's mellow. This is and this is not a place that has been hamstrung by um, by protests or anything. I mean, there were protests in just about every city, and Paso Robles was one of them. San Luis Obispo nearby, also, but not a place that's uh, that was shut down by them. Well, there that's the no... thing. Yeah, I was looking up the cases. I think there was like three hundred overall confirmed cases of coronavirus uh, up yeah. there from the beginning. It's a nice, sleepy area, you know. Exactly. So it was just odd that. That we had this news coming out of that area this morning. Um, the president uh, is holding a roundtable on race relations, apparently. I mentioned earlier that there was a uh, crawl across one of the TV screens that suggested that the president had invited the White House media into the cabinet room for some sort of an announcement or some sort of a news conference. And uh, apparently that's what he's doing there is he's holding some sort of a roundtable on race relations the White House press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, came out today and said that they are working on some sort of a police reform plan to be extended through um, extended through the White House. Whether the president does something by executive order is still up in the air in terms of they haven't said if that's going to happen, but it is a possibility. So. All right, Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast, joins. I always almost say podcast, the Dad Podcast, which is probably a thing somewhere. Somebody probably hosts that podcast. The Dad Podcast? Yeah. You know, Dad Bods became a thing at some point. No. no. When, I, when I type in Dad Podcast, thankfully, the only thing that comes up is Justin Worsham. There you go. There's an idea for you. You should start a podcast called the Bodcast. Yeah, <laughs> Gary and Shannon. With all apologies to my friend Justin Warsh. We'll continue. I wonder what tomorrow will bring us. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what I just realized? What? It's Tarzan Wednesday. Oh, I know. We played that earlier. I had it all ready to go, and then I forgot, and we never got anywhere with it. <laughs> the law of the land. It is uh, the- Deep in the jungle, Tarzan continues to enforce his law. The law of right. Light. Uh, COVID-19 might actually be up to four times less deadly than everybody feared. This is a new estimate from Stanford, the new estimate based on figures from 23 different testing surveys carried out worldwide, which suggested the actual mortality rate was as low as 0.02%. Normal seasonal flu is about 0.1. As low as 0.02 to as high as 0.78%. Part of the problem is uh, the wildly inaccurate antibody serology tests that are out there. Well, we get to hook up with our friend Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast, to talk all dad things. Things dadding, dad, dad-like, dadable. Oh yeah. What's up, man? I'm fair dancing. How are you guys? You know what? Uh, John brings up a good point. John on uh, our Facebook page at Gary and Shannon. 
He wants to know if you've ever uh, answered your door in your underwear and encountered your kids and their friends. Yeah, I know you were listening the other day, but did you hear the story about me answering the door in the underpants? No, I did not. <laughs> I missed that one. I'm so sad. That, that must have been at a time when I was uh, just getting out of the car or something. Well, tell me, I know this will ha- Even if it hasn't yet, you're going to plan on it and try to make it happen. But I was la- <laughs> I was laying down for my Saturday siesta, uh, and uh, and the doorbell rings, and the door opens. Yeah, and the door opens at exactly the same time, which is weird. Usually, the doorbell, and even if yeah, it's even if it's somebody I know, you know, we have some friends who don't mind walking in the house without me answering the door, and I don't mind the, but the doorbell and the door open at exactly the same time, and I thought maybe uh-huh. it was like the UPS guy dropping a package off against the door that hadn't latched. And he pushed the button and the door. But so then that means the door is wide open <laughs> and the package is you know going to be. T- so anyway, I go downstairs uh, in my underpants and <laughs> look out. The door is closed and I look out through the people and I don't see anybody. But as I turn around to go back upstairs, my <laughs> daughter is standing there with her boyfriend. And he says, he says, oh, my God. But then I said to him, it's my house and I'll walk around my underpants if I like it. Then he promptly went upstairs and had his afternoon nap, by the way. (laughs) Good for you, Hoffman. Yeah. I like everything about it. Well, the next day, you'll like this even better. The next day he comes back and he stayed outside until somebody answered the door. I mean, my daughter is the one who answered the door, but. He stayed outside. I answered the door, and I'm standing there, and he kind of gets a smile on his face, and I said, hey, at least I'm not wearing underpants this time. <laughs> I mean, wait, I am wearing underpants. I just made it weird. So, Justin, we're talking to you about play dates during this pandemic, and I'm assuming one of the rules is put your pants on. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, that was not mentioned by any experts in the CDC. The pants are the least of their concern. If you're wearing three to four inches of some kind of fabric, over the mouth and nose area, you can anything else is uh, game on. Like free, free the bird, let it all free, free. You let your freak flag fly is the point I'm trying to say. I guess. Uh, I don't know. Here's the thing. This is one of those segments where I feel like I have to say the opinions of Justin Warsham, no matter how hot and attractive I am, uh, do not necessarily reflect not only the opinions of Gary and or Shannon, but also KFI or iHeartMedia because. Uh, there's a lot of this where this this whole debate is can kids play now uh, is become as controversial as vaccination to me in the parenting world where there it's very polarized. There's very few people that are right in the middle. It's either like, you know what, everybody's fine. And usually that's motivated by people who just want to get their kids out of the house. Uh, there's this new cultural thing that I'm seeing, at least around me, where kids are riding bikes around by themselves like it's 1989 all over again which i think is personally awesome my kids have even started partaking in this where they go out like like it's stranger things like they just go out with their friends and ride the bikes around the neighborhood it is awesome and they're happier for it they're enjoying it uh and then there's people who are like still very much like what are you doing why they're not wearing masks and they're three or four feet away from each other like when i send them out they have masks as they go to a coffee shop or something like that they put the mask on you know, their understanding and all that, but I think it's fine. Like, I'm cool with it, and I, I feel like the added safety that I'm doing is that there is a very small group of kids 
ironically, it's through natural selection because their parents are comfortable with it as well. But that's what's going on in my world. Well, um, have you spent a lot of time, I mean, being the, the father of two boys, have you spent a lot of time talking to them about washing hands and Purell and, you know, just keeping an eye on that sort of thing? Because I would imagine that's a hard conversation to to repeat over and over again. Yes, I have. But it's what's funny is that it's become less prevalent. I, we had a two or three years ago, we had both of them missed more school than they had ever had over the course of a year to the point where I got a notice from the school district that was basically alluding to the fact that I'm being a neglectful parent by not sending my kid to school, even though they were ill. And I checked in with the principal and she said, yeah, we did have a lot of kids that were sick this year. Mind you, three years ago, before all the pandemic stuff, right? So I had a conversation. I get, listen, guys, at least three to four times during the day, you have to wash your hands. You have to stay on top of that. So I'd like to think that my kids are not hygienically challenged, at least at this point in their life, but I could be wrong. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that's, I mean, that's, the way things are going now, kids are going to be, if if you, they're taking cues from their parents, they're going to be washing their hands all the time. That's not a horrible thing, but we, you and I, and uh, we've talked about on this segment many times before. You got to let your kids eat dirt every once in a while. I mean, it's part yeah. of what makes them human is their ability to build up their immune system. Multiple studies have shown that kids who suck their thumbs or pick their nose are less likely to develop allergies and are less prone to illness. Like it just, and the more that they play in dirt, same kind of thing. So if you get your kid out there, if they're eating a little bit of dirt, it's good for them. It's good for their gut biome, I guess, too. Lots of lots of benefits to all of that. And I think you actually mentioned it, it was a story that came across my uh, perusing is that. Another side effect of this is that people are being so protective with the hand sanitizer and everything that some kids' immune systems during the pandemic and obviously before, before I think it was called like Kawasaki syndrome, yeah. where your immune system is so underutilized that it, it basically just goes into haywire and attacks itself. Well, that's what like I was wondering if, is if that's what happened in New York with those that cluster of kids that they said had this uh, symptom similar to Kawasaki disease. If it was some sort of immune deficiency because of the shelter in place stuff. That was what I read was that it was because of that. It was because of their immune system not really knowing how to do anything. And the fact that they were being hyper sanitized constantly where there's nothing for your immune system to do at all. Which is why I sometimes will just randomly lick my kid's nose. Just um, that's just me being a good dad. Well, I would Hello? I would disagree Sorry. with that, but uh, Justin Warsham. <laughs> My dad used to do wet willies, but I take it up a notch. <laughs> All right, Justin, can you uh, can you hold on? You are you kidding? It's still pandemic here at Burbank. I got nowhere to be unless I decide to move to Orange County, evidently. Excellent. <laughs> Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, has joined us. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about other parenting advice during a pandemic, like you know, let your kids stay up all night. And hey. COVID rules. Why not have a couple of white claws with dinner? Mm. Um, Don't do that. So there is a a dad podcast? Yes, there's a dad podcast. Two guys out of Canada. They describe themselves as portly. Oh, so they don't have a uh, a hot rock and bod like Justin Warsham does. Right. 
<laughs> they are not the toast Wait, of guys, the town. Are you guys having a production meeting about my replacements while I'm on the show? No. No, no, no. Uh, we're just trying to figure out if you own the rights to the name The Dad Bodcast, which... No, but I was telling uh, producer Nick on the phone that when I heard you talk about it, I was immediately going to go buy the URL and just forward it to the dad. <laughs> smart. That would have been a smart idea. I was going to try and do it during the break to make a point. <laughs> uh, listen, one of, one of the things that has uh, that I've noticed people uh, being okay with in the context of coronavirus, lockdowns, stay-at-home orders, all that sort of thing, which – you know, in the middle of March was a massive issue, was that they were okay with their kids playing uh, hours and hours and hours of video games. Uh, just because at that point it was like, hey, COVID rules, I got nothing for you to do. You yeah. might as well play video games because I don't want you bugging me for eight hours. Yeah, it, I, I would uh, raise my hand amongst one of those uh, guilty parties. Uh, and what was coming out of it was that that was kind of the only social interaction that was available when all of this was happening. And like we talked about during the last segment, now what's it really interesting is I taught last Friday, uh, I taught my kid to ride a bike. It took about a half hour uh, because he's 13. Uh, no, kidding. He was eight. But uh, but still, he, <laughs> he picked it up real quick, and now that's all he wants to do. We, we did the Chandler bike path here in Burbank and rode just about seven miles, uh, he and I together. Uh, and they want to go out and they want to ride bikes with their friends. And so I almost feel like they've also gotten tired of it. Like that's kind of run its course. But when we were in the thick of it, there were kids that were playing all night. There were kids that were playing even during the school day. Like we allowed my kids to do it during break, but they had to go back to school. And we were getting messages from the school. Like this is, I think, how bad it was. There's like an example for everybody is that teachers were saying like kids were maybe doing a half a worksheet for the whole week. That was the only work they were doing because the rest of the time they were just playing Fortnite. Yeah, there's um, this article that you forwarded us also brings up something that's very interesting, and it's a, it's the mental health concerns of uh, of kids. You know, whether they're preteens like your kids or teenagers, if something happens to grandma, and they never had a great relationship with grandma to begin with, and now they can't see grandma in the hospital, for example, or God forbid, some grandpa passes away and they can't go to a funeral. I mean, that's got to rack a child. See, and I don't I, – I hope I'm not – maybe you can help me understand this stuff because they started off one of these headings by saying, if your child seems fine, they're not. And I, I vehemently disagree. Uh, I don't I, Not only do oh, I yeah. think that that is not a good message to send to parents out there, uh, I just – I disagree that – it, parents today seem to be wired to look for problems where there are none. Right. And I would easily argue that my kids had the best academic life over the last two months. They had pitfalls, <laughs> like they missed their friends. But who, what kid wouldn't want to basically be occupied with three to four hours of schoolwork out of a six-hour day, and the rest of the time they're playing video games with their friends? Right. To me, that sounds pretty awesome for anybody 8 to 12. And teenagers, even if they had a full work day, like, they also have uh, technology available where they can have video chat with people and hangout parties online constantly. Yeah, that's a good point because I think my daughter, for example, having graduated high school, which is weird to say, didn't get to do those things that you all did, that I did, that we all did when we graduated high school. Um, so I get and I sense that there was a bit of anxiety uh, in her about that, but – 
my question is, and my wife and I have had this discussion before, how much do we play into that? And I don't I don't mean to be a condescending lot. to it, but do we do we sit down, you know, do we light the chamomile candle? Do we pour some tea and talk about feelings? Or do we show her through example, yeah, this is a weird time, but we still have stuff we need to do. We're we resilient. Still, yeah. We still keep our daily patterns. We still do our laundry. We don't lay in bed for eight hours watching Netflix to, to pass the time. And, and I think to your point, uh, Justin, that the almost the more you acknowledge it, not mm, – you you don't want to feed into it. You want to acknowledge it, but right. you don't want to feed into it. You don't want to enable it, right? You don't want to enable, enable that good word, yes. behavior that's looking for things that are wrong with my life. Like, that's yeah. what I spent a lot of time. When my kids did have the down moments, we had emotional breakdowns. And it's it's cabin fever. It's I'm sure it's a lot. It's the lack of social interaction. There's a lot of things that I can't cope with or even process because I'm a barely high school educated dude myself raising two other human beings. But I know enough about human beings and my human beings to say, listen, I get that it sucks, but you got two ways you could look at this. You can wallow in the suck or you could figure out a way to make it better. Right. And what I know about life and what you guys have made fun of me is I tell my kids 90 percent of life is figuring out a way to not make it crappy. Right. Like that's, <laughs> that's most of it. And the more you can get used to doing that, the better I get. I was getting angry at people who were apologizing to my kid because he didn't have a fifth grade promotion. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't celebrate that stuff. I'm not trying to take that away from anybody, but I'm just saying, don't put that on my kid. Like it doesn't well, then, matter. Then he's like, oh, I sh- school- then he's Go just ahead, like, sorry. oh, should I be upset? Like, is this something I should be yeah. upset about? Uh, exactly. And then maybe he makes himself upset over something that he didn't need to ever be upset about. <laughs> and this is where I get crazy and start ranting that like, if you start making these things like fifth grade promotion, which I feel like is not a thing. and should have, should never be a thing. Uh, and then what does that mean about like high school graduation? If you may, if you feel like your life is less significant because you didn't walk across and get some BS diploma from a guy that you knew or a lady that you knew for four years out of your life, if you're thinking about that when you're 47 and got a mortgage, you got bigger fish to fry in your, in your brain than that, man. Like, the, the time that you're a child is realistically so insignificant compared to the proportional amount of your life you spend as an adult. And I think we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to coddle people to feel good about childhood instead of teaching them to just feel good about adulthood and adversity because that's where you spend the majority of your time, and that's where it's the most difficult time to maintain fulfillment and happiness. And Other that, than that, I have no opinion on the matter. And <laughs> that, that is why Justin Worsham is one of our favorite people. That's right. <laughs> Oh, well, hey, listen, I went off on there. No, No, that was perfect. Good to hear your laugh, too. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. Always. Anytime. We'll talk next week. John and Ken show coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. Watch for another episode soon of Gary and Shannon.